Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by who else? BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online source for all your sports and information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to BetOnline right now and use your mobile device today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V, 5-0 to receive the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to the pod. I am very excited to talk to this guest coming up right now. He has a fantastic new book coming out. Uh, he's got a fascinating backstory, and I'm excited to learn all about what are we going to call it? Sportcraft? I don't know. We're about to find out. His name is Kevin Bryant. His new book out is called Spies on the Sidelines The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the pod. How are you today? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good. Thanks. How are you? Such a- I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm so excited to to learn a little bit about your journey and also the contents that's in this book because I have a feeling that when we get done with this conversation, hopefully my audience is going to run out and pick up the book. So, Kevin, if you can just kind of fill my audience a little bit, just a little bit about your background and what kind of drew you to this source material and also maybe, you know, the inspiration for writing this book. Sure, yeah. So I've got a background working for the Department of Defense, Um, spent 23 years collecting and protecting information um, for the government, and 13 years as a special agent. So I was living in Germany um, when Spygate, what's known as Spygate 2, kicked off, which was when Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator at the time, had moved over to the Broncos and became the head coach. They got in trouble for... um, their video coordinator got in trouble for taping a practice of another team. Um, of course, the Broncos, the video coordinator, and McDaniels all got, you know, busted for that. And at that point, after, you know, that happened after Spygate, and I really began wondering, wow, just how common is, is this, you know, spying in, in sports and in the NFL in particular? So I started looking into the subject, doing some, you know, internet research like anybody would do, hopping on Google, seeing what I could find. And I probably did that for about a month until I pretty much came to the end of the road, found about all that I was going to find. And so I hopped on Amazon, tried to find books on the subject, realized that the only book out there was uh, Brian O'Leary's book, Spygate, which is a good book about Spygate, but it only covers one team at one point in time. I was working on I working on my master's degree in intelligence studies, about to start one in sports management. And I thought, you know, with my background, with the degrees, I've got a bachelor's degree in history as well. I thought, you know, it really pairs for my skill set. And I'd been wanting to write a book for a while. And I said, you know what? Here's my chance. Uh, I've got my subject. This is my this is my million dollar idea, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with it. See where it goes. <laughs> and here we are, and here we are with your book that's coming out. And you picked up, you picked obviously one of the biggest major sports in the world, and obviously the biggest major sport in America. And and I'm so fascinated. Maybe if we can kind of just begin with maybe some general philosophies um, for you. I, you know, forgive me if this is uh, if this is classified. But growing up, uh, did you play sports 
were you the type of competitor that always sought out an edge in your competitive play? Um, and, and if not, I mean, did you always view it a little bit differently growing up and, and as you moved on and learned a little bit more about this book? Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm five foot six, like a buck 35 soaking wet. So obviously I'm no football player. Um, yeah. so my background is in soccer for the most part. So I played NCAA soccer in high school. I ran uh, long distance track cross country as well. You know, I was never, I was never stellar, but I was, I was a, you know, solid varsity guy. So yeah, when it came to soccer, really, um, you know, I've, I've always been a pretty clean player. I will say that, um, you know, from time to Are time. Are you a flopper, Kevin? Did you ever, you ever flopped before? We can break yeah. some news right now. So, so, so first of all, you can't be a real soccer player unless you, unless you flop and know how to scream. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, true. it's just part of the game. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, you know, the annoying thing is you, you get fouled over and over. And there's so many times the refs won't call it. You know, this this let it play, let it play. And you're like, man, how many times do I got to get drilled before you call something? So, you know, after you get fouled hard so many times and you don't get a whistle, you just learn, you know what? Okay, I'll get your attention. Scream like a little prima donna. And that's, you know, that's what you do. So. <laughs> well, and that's what's, it's one of the funny things about, and you know, when I was, I was trying to uh, learn a little bit about yourself and the book before you came on. I haven't gotten a chance to read the book yet for full disclosure, but I'm really excited to check it out. And one thing that kind of kept coming up in my mind is um, my wife's family, uh, they do not, it's not their main setting. So it's not a saying that they have over the door when you walk into their house, but they've said before, uh, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And I was a baseball player growing up and there was always that, um, you know, a little bit of that blurred line a little bit. So in, when you started diving into writing this book, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, were you able to find a distinction between cheating and spying? Are they one in the same, or is that also one in the same, but sometimes you take it a step too far? You know, what were some of the discoveries in that process? Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, the, the theme of the book is whatever it takes, which was an expression that Al Davis and Chuck Knoll uh, both used during their, their coaching careers. And I think it really summarizes, you know, the book and the steps that NFL teams are, are willing to take to try to try to win. Of course, you know, even Al Davis and Chuck Noll, they use that phrase very differently. You know, for Al Davis, it was literally whatever it takes, you know, and everything was was fair game. Um, and Chuck Noll was a much more, you know, well-mannered gentleman coach, so to say, who was, you know, not going to use every, every dirty trick he could find to get that win. It was just, Hey, you know, we need to work our butts off to try to get that victory and, and do what we need to. So, so it really varies, you know, and there are, um, techniques, collection techniques that are absolutely, uh, that violate NFL bylaws or NFL rules. Um, and then there are, other techniques that are clearly allowed and permissible and commonly accepted. And then there's a whole lot of gray, which it just depends. So for example, um, spying on practices, mm. you know, some coaches will just be like, ah, that's just part of the game. And other coaches are like, no, man, that's, that's dirty. And we're going to report you to the NFL if you do that. And really, it comes up to the NFL and their interpretation at times of everything that's in the gray. And 
the NFL doesn't have rules on everything like you would think. Um, when I started this book and started to do research and look into it, I thought the NFL would have very hard and fast rules pertaining to this stuff. And the bottom line is, no. Uh, they have a bunch of basically um, good standard or good conduct um, rules that say, hey, we expect you to act in a professionally, in a professional, friendly uh, you know, like manner. they're in, like they're interpretive, like uh, like when right. we say good conduct, that's, that's all, exactly yeah. it. So mm. a lot of this is up to the commissioner to decide what is in violation and what's not in violation of certain things. As the league goes along, and there are certain um, infractions per se. Let's say the Patriots, who taped another, you know, taped the Jets' defensive signals um, and other team signals long before that. So they came out with the the Ray Anderson memo basically stating, hey, this is not permissible. But even that's not really a rule. It's just mm -hmm. a memo that says you won't do it. So it's like that with a lot of things. Um, you don't even get a memo. It's just, if the NFL gets annoyed at you, they're gonna push out some guidance and say, hey, we want you to stop this. That's about the best you're ever gonna get. So it leaves a whole lot of gray and it's up to the commissioner. And what one commissioner finds acceptable can be very different than what the next one finds acceptable. So, and it changes over the course of time with the, with the league and everything that goes on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very complex. Well, so yeah, I mean, you look it up and if it's not written down somewhere, there's not even a spirit of a rule. You can always try and continue to get an advantage. And as we all know, in the age of 2022, uh, information and especially the collection of information is now evolving at this rapid pace. You know, when you first started diving into the history of this book, if we could just go back real quick. Um, of course, techniques evolve. And you mentioned Al Davis and Chuck Knoll, but have certain techniques of maybe, let's just say, spying or whatever it is to gain an advantage. Have these been in the fabric of the game since it's like in inception, since it's creation? Or how early did we start to really see um, these kinds of, I, I'm calling it sport craft, but you know what I mean? How many, yeah. when did we start seeing these things off the field? Yeah, NFL teams, you know, whether you want to call it spying, sport craft, collecting information on each other, this has been around since the very inception of the league, from the very, very beginning. And as a matter of fact, it predates the league. It goes back to um, college football, mm. so which was around since the 1880s. So, yeah, the NFL picked up a lot of stuff from the beginning. So we're talking about everything from um, advanced scouting, which is – you know, send in, send in a scout to watch a game, which evolved into film study eventually, right, as technology came along. And spying on practices, that has been around since the very, very beginning. Um, as players began to switch teams, debriefing players that would move from team to team. Oh, which, sure. Right? That's big today. Offense install. Yeah, you literally, yeah. you literally, if I may real quick, you will sign a guy who gets cut from another team just because you're playing them in two weeks. Exactly. Whatever. Precisely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's a huge part of the game. Uh, signals collection. So it used to be that players called almost everything on the field, um, especially offensively with quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, that eventually, coaches starting with Paul Brown, started eventually taking the reins over with that. And of course, today we've got um, you know headsets uh, where the coaches are sending everything in via headsets, and the headsets changed everything because. The signal, you know, coaches used to try to steal the signals of the other teams being sent in. That's much harder today. Um, but you still have signals being sent 
um, hand signals, you know, that mm -hmm. quarterbacks are sending in or, or a defensive player. And then, of course, you've got headset tampering or allegations, at least, of headset tampering going Whoops, on. This doesn't work all of a sudden. Right. What's, which, what's going on here? Which happens quite frequently in certain places. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've got some very interesting parts of my book of talking about that and how it is very possible without getting extremely technical, which everyone likes to talk about, you know, they're using military grade encryption. If you know what teams are really going to have the capacity to go hack into a, a, a headset with that type of encryption, very unlikely it's going to be happening, but it's really comes down to nothing more than the password. And while breaking encryption is very difficult, breaking, getting a hold of a password, you know, that can be done. So, yeah, um, I, I go into that in the book. I think it's a really interesting subject. Uh, well, it, it's an incredibly interesting subject. And I guess my follow-up question to that would be, you know, um, as we continuously uh, advance in technology and on its face, the efficacy of communication through technology is continuously pushed forward, in your opinion, does that make it easier for other teams to um, either get in on that communication is it easier for other teams to spy? And does it also maybe set up a situation where, as you mentioned, hand signals, we have to maybe reverse engineer some of this stuff because of the technology on the field in terms of stealing, let's just say signals, calls, that kinds of stuff on the field. Yeah. It, I don't know if it makes it easier or more difficult, but it makes it different, right? It's evolving. Mm. Um, so if a team is not securing their information well, yes, it makes it easier. Um, you know, I was talking to a, a, a drone or a, um, unmanned aerial vehicle expert about this topic. And he, you know, he was talking, talking about how with, you know, with stuff that you can buy at the local radio shack, more or less, um, and you, you plug this stuff on a drone, you can pretty much suck up everything off a tablet while, you know, parking your drone at a team's practice facility. And if it's got their playbook on there, you just suck it all up. So be it, yeah. Yeah. So absolutely, it does make it easier in a sense if teams aren't protecting it well, um, or it can make more. It can be more difficult if they are, um, or it can just be different. So it's hard. It's hard to say. But yeah, it's constantly evolving. You know, stuff like um, well, we got drone. You know, the threat used to be airplanes and helicopters flying overhead, and coaches would actually stop practices at times. Or try to get the the, uh, the the registration numbers of those things using binoculars, you know. And then they'd call up a buddy at the FAA, say, "Hey, you know, I got a I got a registration number. Can you run this airplane for me and, and see who it belongs to?" You know, I mean, it's crazy. Um, you know, now the threats drones today, um, but you know, I mean, the threats out there with technology, listening devices, you know, they just get smaller and smaller and smaller and tougher to, yep. de to detect and to find, and that's been a constant threat, um, something that, you know, has been around and, a, and, and feared. Um, it's been known to be used in college football before, and while there are no verified um, instances in the NFL, you know, I mean, uh, Peyton Manning, as recently as last year, said, yeah, when I, you know, I drag my, my receivers into the shower room and probably, you know, turn on the water to, to have, to be able to mask hidden noise, um, to, you know, out of fear that the Patriots were, were using a tactic like that. So, yeah. It's, it's, there's a funny, uh, there's a funny comparison to that too, as well. It's like with Peyton Manning after he retires, it's like, 
the classified files become unsealed, right? And now he can actually yeah. go ahead and talk yeah. about it because he's not connected to anyone. He kind of waits until enough coaches kind of phase out of the game a little bit. Um, I'm here talking on Bet on Chicago with Kevin Bryant. The book is called Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. Um, I think uh, obviously available on Amazon right now. And I think this is an instructive book for all sports fans, not just NFL fans, because it just kind of takes people not just behind the curtain, but all the way maybe down to the basement of how uh, how some of these teams operate. So, Kevin, I wanted to ask you um, whether this surprised you or not, and if it didn't, you can you can say. But if it did, if it did surprise you, what surprised you more? The fact that you've learned that there are so many teams that deploy these tactics, or did it surprise you that maybe not enough teams did and just some of the ones that were were really, really good at it? You know, I'm not surprised that a lot of teams – well, all teams use some tactics, period. Mm -hmm. there's, okay. there's a core group. Everybody uses set techniques. And it didn't surprise me that some, that there's a lot of in the gray and that there's even stuff that's in the black that's, you know, not permitted that's going on. I would say, you know, because that's, in, in essence, this is simply industrial espionage. You know, that's, that's something that a lot of people don't know, necessarily know a lot about. But just like nations spy on each other, companies spy on each other. And let's face it. The NFL and these owners are in a game that's worth billions and billions of dollars. And these franchises are just, they're cash cows. And the more you win, the more it's worth. So, you know, and these are the toys of billionaires. Um, so, you know, not only do they want to win for money purposes, but they want to win, they want to win for bragging purposes because this is, this is a big toy for them. And, um, you know, at some point the money kind of becomes, yeah, it's always nice. But it's, you know, it's like, hey, I want to win for the bragging rights over my other billionaire buddies, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting for that. What did surprise me with the book, what surprised me the most was that teams were very often, um, they didn't have the expertise necessarily to be able to, uh, to pull off, or at least um, I, I was surprised at how little subject how, how few subject matter experts are employed at times in the nfl especially offensively to try mm -hmm. to collect the information um now some teams do some teams absolutely do and there's a lot of ex there's some experience on the defensive side when you get to the security aspect teams will hire former fbi guys at times to um, do overall team security and that will encompass uh kind of defending against uh, against all of this stuff but a lot of times this is left up to coaches to design the collection efforts. And I think that's what makes the book so great because at times you've got teams like the Patriots who take a, a very organized um, approach to it and are very professional at what they do. And they do a great job of it. And it's not just that they're the only ones, you know, they're the only ones doing it because they're not, but they're, they're better at it. They're better organized and, and they're willing to cross some lines. In my opinion, I believe that other teams probably, or at least most teams aren't willing to cross. Um, but the, the main benefit is that they're just more organized. You know, Jimmy Johnson, when all Spygate happened, he said, yeah, we used to do this in Dallas, uh, mm -hmm. taping signals, but it, we, it wasn't a benefit to us. We couldn't do it effectively. We couldn't use the information we were, we were collecting. Um, so it really comes down to how well can you use it. And that's the thing that surprised me the most. 
And the thing that makes the book so good, I think, is that there's so many humorous anecdotes because it, a lot of times teams, they, they don't have, you know, they don't have that expertise. So they're trying things that are just, they're just crazy at times and insane, um, but that are a lot of fun. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes it's amateur hour, um, but it, it's, it's hilarious. It makes for good stories. And sometimes they fail spectacular, spectacularly because of it. And sometimes, despite all of it, they succeed. And you're like, wow, how the heck did that work? But it did, you know. Um, and I think it just makes it all the more entertaining and the more fun. You know, if it was a bunch of professionals all the time, you'd kind of be like, eh, okay. You know, but, but I think some of the failures and some of the comedic scenarios make it really, really good. <laughs> It's like karate belts. There's different uh, color karate belts in terms of uh, yes. uh, uh, sports espionage. Uh, so in your estimation, would you say that – is it fair to, to say that maybe the reason why the Patriots did get in as much trouble as they did was because it became personal among other organizations? Um, you know, at some point – you know, because you're talking about, you know, there, there are these laws and they kind of skirt around them a little bit. Did it just become personal among other organizations and that ended up with getting the Patriots in trouble maybe more so than what they were actually doing? Yeah, so I would say, you know, the Patriots have been suspected of quite a few things for a, for a while before they eventually got in trouble with Spygate. And as a matter of fact, the um, kind of the, the group that oversees fair play for the NFL had – there have been complaints against the Patriots for quite some time. And it's one of those things that they looked into, but never really had the concrete evidence to go after. Um, so there was, there was that factor. Um, and then the Patriots had um, other teams had brought complaints to the league on numerous occasions about the exact same thing that the jets ultimately caught the Patriots doing, which was video recording the, the, the games, the sig signals from during games. And that's why the NFL issued twice, uh, twice or three times, issued memos stating to all the teams that, hey, uh, taping signals is not allowed. But the Patriots continued to do it. Um, and even before the game took place, the Jets coach called up Bill Pelichick and said, hey, it, you know, he used to work with, with the Patriots um, and said, hey, I, you know, I know what goes on when you're here playing us, the Jets, in our home stadium. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to accept it. This is not acceptable. So, you know, and for whatever reason, the Patriots just decided, you know what, we're, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and I mean, I, I don't know what to call it. Pure arrogance, pure just moxie. Um, uh, a little persistence, uh, persistence, yeah, right? Um, sure. But they did, and they got caught, and and um, yeah, and and frankly, you know, and it's very interesting because they've, you know, as 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 recently as a couple years ago, they got in trouble for once again uh, videotaping um, during another team's game. Um, yeah, plants what, in the stands, the, right? The they, they sidelines. Well, they didn't have it was it was during two other teams games and you know they can have advanced scouts et cetera et cetera there but they were they were taping for one of their TV shows um, and allegedly they were just filming an employee during doing his job and recording it for those purposes but you know they had like they had I don't know how many minutes 7 to 10 minutes if I think off the top of my head um, of just sideline footage taped 
of the opposing team. Um, and then when asked about it, you know, when they were caught, they just said, oops, that's my bad. We were just trying to get some perspective, you know, um, you know, <laughs> what, what is that? What, you know, what, yeah. seven to 10 minutes of perspective, you know? So it's, you know, it's very, it's very suspect. Um, you know, they're, they're continuing to push the boundaries in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, how much of this did it ever really stop? Um, or just, you know, do you use slightly different techniques to try to get the exact same stuff? Or, or, you know, move on just trying, okay, that technique is dead. Let's move on to another technique that we can try that, you know, um, no one's, no one's looking at us to try to do. So. Yeah. This part is, this part isn't written down. So let's try this one out. Um, uh, I got two more for you. Uh, Kevin Bryant here on bet on Chicago. His book is called spies on the sidelines, the high stakes world of NFL espionage. Uh, get it wherever you get your Amazon books and all, all, all those sorts of other places right now. So this is kind of a big question, and I just want to get your maybe your perspective. I don't know if you have a, an answer to it, right? Because um, I want to talk to you about from the fans' perspective. And, you know, I think that there is a distinct difference between cheating and advantage. And sometimes when you play a game of sport with advantage, there is an element of deceit. As you mentioned, playing NCAA soccer, you can sell a call every once in a while. Even in the game of football itself, before you hike the ball, there is a cadence where you can try and deceive the opponent to jump off of sides. There is a pump fake. There is a play action pass. There's all sorts of different things that we would just call advantages in the game of sports. So maybe if we can remove the Patriots for a second, but all these other NFL teams that you've noticed kind of engaging in this sport craft, you know, how can you maybe talk to a fan and reconcile with a fan about just maybe this is just the nature of the business. You know, this is the cost of doing business a little bit because I think it's so easy in the game of sports, you know, always be like to point at the other team and go, you know, you're a cheater, not our team. Our team would never do anything like that, Kevin. So for, you know, the casual NFL fan that's going to pick up the book and read it, you know, how do you how do you reconcile, I think, those blurred lines a little bit? And is there maybe a tell? Is there maybe something out there that an NFL fan can keep an eye on and be like, well, you know, what, this goes beyond the pale of, of advantage into the world of cheating? Yeah, so that's a hard question to answer. So it really comes down to what are the commonly accepted, what's, what's the dividing line between mm -hmm. what is considered fair and not fair? And that's not necessarily what is breaking a rule versus what what is what is permissible right because let's take a holding call for example that is breaking a rule okay and but is anyone going to say hey you guys cheated you held well i mean you know that's why we've got referees that we've got with flags out there mm -hmm. versus a guy like peyton manning who let's say you know he used to go to the pro bowl and buy my ties this is this is an allegation uh, from Ty Law, who played with the Pats, who said, you know, Peyton Manning used to, you know, he'd say, hey, come sit down, come sit down and drink with me and buy, the, buy his, you know, fellow pro bowlers, my tie drinks. And then, you know, after they drank a little bit, start talking football for the purposes of, of course, trying to get a few secrets out of them. Hey, when this happened, you know, what were you thinking? Or what would you do if, you know, which, you know, it doesn't break any rules. But we all might say, huh, is that, you know, is that really good sportsmanship? It's a little manipulative. Right? It's, a little, it's a little Omaha, a little Omaha, a little Omaha. You right. And then you got thing. something like headset tampering, which is like people will say, oh, that's clearly if, you, if, you sh if you're able to, you know, make it so the other team can't communicate through their headsets. 
-hmm. You know, oh, that's, you know, that's clearly cheating. Having said that, there's people out there that'll tell you, yeah, pretty much tons of teams do it. Um, so it really comes down to what is commonly acceptable and what do we think is fair and what we as fans say, oh, that's, that's clearly cheating. Coaches, on the other hand, might say, eh, well, it may not be too common knowledge, but yeah, pretty much everybody's doing that. And as a matter of fact, when coaches catch other teams spying in the act throughout the history of the league, very seldom did I notice that teams would actually turn in um, other teams, unless it was really, really egregious. More often than not, Weeb Eubank um, coached the Jets, and he, um, when they were going to play the Raiders under Al Davis, on the bus after a Jets practice, they caught Maury Schleiser, who was a Raiders uh, scout, on the Jets bus going back to their hotel. Which means that Maury had inevitably watched the practice and then decided, you know what? Maybe I can learn some extra tidbits while I ride on the bus back to the hotel. Right? Let's stay in their hotel room. Let's eat breakfast with them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right? So, but, you know, we've just said, you know, hey, Maury, get off the bus. You know, he didn't take it any further. It didn't, you know. And that's pretty much the standard that, you know, all teams are going to, they're, they're going to be involved in some shenanigans. And, and while, it, you know, they may be a little angry at the time, eventually everyone's just going to sit around drinking a beer and having a good laugh. And then I guess it probably comes down to, uh, you know, the streak, the three strike penalty, right? Where, uh, you know, eventually if the NFL does get involved with a team, it's one of those, you kind of better stop. And then second notice, final notice, you know what I mean? Like, and then actually that's when you can get into trouble and it becomes a controversy. Uh, my final question for you, Kevin, uh, I'm so happy to have you on here on this pod to, uh, to talk about this subject. And I hope our audience goes out and checks out your book too as well. But my big question for you is, and I don't want to scare you. I don't want to terrify you, but is the second book going to be about baseball? Cause let's be honest, Kevin, <laughs> that is a, that is a, a lasagna of cheating and espionage and subterfuge and sportcraft and i mean i know you're going to take a break but have you ever thought about maybe looking into baseball because that's hundreds of years of people straight lying and cheating to each other right it is it is so book number two is on college football oh, okay. uh, which is which is about two-thirds of the way through the first rough, rough draft and while it probably sounds like the same book so much stuff is different in college football than pro. Different world. Uh, yeah. You see the coaches. The, when, all we need to know as a fan is when the coaches struggle from going to college to the pros or from the pros to college. I think that's all you need to know about how they're two totally different environments. Yeah. So I have considered baseball, um, and, and I will look at it, and it is on my list of possible book ideas to explore mm -hmm. afterwards. You know, with sports, though, you know, football is very unique, I will say. The, the pause – so with baseball, you know, when you talk about like stealing signals, for instance, okay, you, there's only so many options, right? What do you, you're going to steal, you're going to steal the pitch, okay, which there are, you know, it's, it's a fastball, it's a slider, it's a curveball, it's a sinker, you know, you've got very limited options here. With football, you've pretty much got limited options. I mean, you've got endless, endless options of what a play could be. Mm -hmm. And you're telling 11 players on the field exactly what they're exactly what they're going to do 
for every given play. It's very unique in the sense the control that coaches can have over that. And likewise, the knowledge that can be gained if you can figure out what a team is about to do. So, you know, you take free-flowing sports like basketball, soccer, lacrosse, whatever it is, you just can't gain the same advantage by spying that you can with football because of that. And I would say foot, because, of, because of that, you can learn more through, through spying in football than any other sport that is out there, um, pure and simple. Baseball, yes, I would say is the second, um, would be sport number two in line. Uh, but, um, but yeah, football is very unique. And I think it makes for a really, um, interesting scenario where it becomes, it becomes vital to the success success of a team. And the one thing I have in the book over and over again is championship games, Super Bowls that are hugely impacted, if not flat out deciphered by collecting on your opponents and having the upper hand. And it can be, you know, spying can be, it can be a bit of an advantage and it can be an absolute devastator um, at times as well. And, um, and, and you'll see, you, if you read the book, um, you'll see cases where two teams played during the same season um, and a spying tactic where one team lost by a close game the first time, that team that lost wins the second game 58 to seven, you know, or something along those lines, just based on, figuring out the other team and applying some of these techniques. Unbelievable. And congratulations on uh, the release and the further success of the book. Kevin Bryant here on bet on Chicago. Um, Kevin, before you go, please um, throw out your socials. And again, you know, uh, the best way for people to pick up the book spies on the sidelines, the high stakes world of NFL espionage. Uh, congratulations again. So happy to have you on the pod. And, uh, you know, you've got a fan and supporter of me. I can't wait to pick up the book myself. And hopefully maybe we can bring it back on uh, maybe when you complete the college football or if there is a scandal this year. If something happens this year, Kevin, I might be calling you. So thank you for coming on the pod. And please, uh, throw out all your socials and ways for people to check out the book. Sounds good. Thanks, Joey. So the easiest way to find everything about me, the book, all my social media handles is to hop on my website. It's www.spiesonthesidelines.com. You can find everything there. Um, the book's going to be out. It's, it's hardcover right now and an ebook. I've got the audio book that'll be coming out here in about a month or so. Um, but you can find all of that on the website. Fantastic, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Bet on Chicago was brought to you by betonline.ag today. Promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. Remember, that's a new promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Also, keep in mind, I am partnering with Baseball Lifestyle 101 all summer long. If you go to bl101.com, you get 10% off all their summer apparel and hats, hoodies, all that good stuff if you use promo code Joey Sports Guy. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. We got one more coming up the rest of this week. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.